be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to the Dispatches, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. And with us this week is a very special guest, La Carmina, a TV host, fashion and alternative culture blogger, currently reporting on Japanese subcultures. And she is the author of a new book on modern Satanism, The Little Book of Satan, A Guide to Satanic History, Culture, and Wisdom. And thank you so much, La Carmina. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when can people get the book? Sure. So the Little Book of Satanism comes out October 25th, and it's available worldwide. It's in digital and paperback. It's being released by Simon & Schuster. So I always tell people to support their local indie bookseller. You can call your favorite local bookseller and ask them to order it for you since it's available through Ingram and Simon & Schuster. Or you can just go to any site online, Barnes & Noble, Indigo, Dimex, Amazon, whatever, and pick it up there. It's going Fantastic. to be the, It's going to be the most purple book on my satanic bookshelf, so I'm excited it, about that. It's beautiful. I have yeah. to say that the part dividers are works of art. Oh, Literally. thank you so much. Literally. Yeah, that was the <laughs> choice. And it was great that my publisher really understood that we didn't want the book to seem heavy metal and scary. Yeah. We wanted to really <laughs> convey that Satanism has a rich history and culture and it isn't this evil thing to be feared. So I think the cover really came across in that regard. There's a Baphomet, the goat-headed Baphomet with gentle eyes. And then yeah. there's yeah, a deep purple look that we thought kind of had a Victorian elegant element. And purple happens to be my favorite color, too. I know, yes, you noticed that. It matches your hair, which is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So before we get started on the book, uh, can you tell us what you're up to in Japan these days? Yes. So I don't know if people are aware, but Japan has been closed off to tourism for the past three years at this point because of COVID. Of course. Oh my. Yeah. So Yeah. And nobody has been able to easily access Japan, but I luckily got a work visa because I work also as a travel journalist. Oh, so yay. I'm excited to go to Japan on a project to share about the food and culture of Tohoku, the region north of Tokyo. And that let me get back into Japan before the tourists are coming in, see my friends, eat all the food, do all the <laughs> things. Did you see they, they recently were like, okay, we're reopening to tourists. You can come in on a guided tour, right? <laughs> yes. You can only come in on a strictly mandated. And it's like, and every single person I know who's in Japan is like, no one wants to do that. Please, Japan, please. Yeah. Well, the good news, I don't know if you heard, but as of October 11th, that is no longer the case and people can freely visit. Yay. Let's go. I'm there. Yeah. (laughs) I have been really admiring your Tokyo Demon photo shoots when I've seen them on your your Twitter. Uh, Some fun little characters and icons that I hadn't seen before. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's so interesting. There's a satanic scene in Japan and people may know that there are also these folklore deities with horns in Japan called Oni. Yes. So it's really interesting how right, all around the world, there's different conceptions of demons and devil-like creatures and hell, such as Buddhist hell. We've really been interested in like how 
some European demons like Paimon has shown up in a lot of Japanese media and things like that. And at some point in time, I really want to get into like how that's happened because it seems uh, it's, it's hard for me to understand how they float in like that. But, but first uh, let's talk about the book. But first, <laughs> should we, should we introduce ourselves? I guess we could. I mean, oh. I feel like some of us have been left out. <laughs> Hi, Victoria. Well, hello, Jamin. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And along with La Carmina, some lesser people in our lives, Victoria, That's right. uh-huh. and Jamin, and I'm Jacob, uh, the host Those of Those who do not matter. Mm-hmm. We're, the, we're, the nameless, we're the nameless ones. So, Speaking of the named, uh, La Carmina, can I ask, is it the songs? Is that you? You mean the name? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So a couple different references. My real name is Carmen, so it's sort of a play on Carmen, a more fabulous version. <laughs> but it's also a reference to, I don't know if you're familiar with this 1980s campy Swedish band called Army of Lovers. No, I, I want <laughs> to know more. Write that down please. right now. <laughs> yeah. Army so, of Lovers. Tell us everything. Yeah, well, the lead singer is called La Camilla. So it was a nickname kind of bestowed upon me. <laughs> this very campy, fabulous singer in a Swedish band. Oh, are <laughs> so you a fantastic play on it? Do, do you sing too? No, no, but I love campy 80s. I love Italo disco. That's very much my thing. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. I think Jacob and I are more on the campy 80s dance music than Jamin is. I'm the yes. least campy man in the world. It's true. <laughs> he is our drama queen, though. We've, we've decided true. that. It's mm-hmm. true. He brings the drama. So, yeah. So how did your, uh, your own religious background kind of shape this book? Yeah, it's a little different. I think a lot of people that come to Satanism, well, many come from fundamentalist or, or quite Christian backgrounds. and They're escaping something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a reaction or a way to conceptualize the things they grew up with and later rejected. But for me and a lot of people in Asia, you come from atheist backgrounds. My family's from Hong Kong, one of mm. the most atheist places in the world. So it doesn't that. have that same theocratic, fundamentalist Christian background that you might have growing up in certain parts, say, of the U.S. So I came from an atheist background. And for me, it just really resonated with me, the focus on scientific skepticism, on questioning norms and standing up to authority. Um, and just the fulfillment of the self without turning to supernatural, superstitious beliefs or some sort of a guilt or shame. So those were the elements that I found really resonant to me. You actually had a background so, that allowed you religious experimentation. That's really neat. Yeah. And I'm curious because of that, because of the predominance of atheism in Asia versus fundamentalism in the U.S., is the flavor of Satanism different because you're not reacting to something so much, but kind of taking things maybe a step, a step further to kind of a logical conclusion? Yeah, you really nailed it. It's very different there. And sometimes people don't realize how people can have quite a different conception of religion. For instance, in Japan, where I just spent some time, people are a bit more cultural in their approach, and they don't identify with one particular label. So a person isn't necessarily, oh, I'm Buddhist, and this is it. It might be that they're a little, they associate themselves a little bit with Shintoism or Buddhism, because that's in their cultural background. And maybe they'll go to the temples during New Year's or other holidays. Mm. But that's more of a family or cultural tradition as opposed to a belief or religious one. So I think in other places, it's not necessarily black and white. There's a lot of in between and there's a lot of free flowing, borrowing and the syncretism. 
And uh, that's something that I think Satanism applies itself quite well to, just because mm-hmm. of the focus on individualism and questioning and finding your own way. Yeah, it's kind of a choose your own adventure in a really positive way. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Does Satanism have the same kind of shock value that we have in America? Yeah, that's another thing. It doesn't have that same shock value just because people aren't reacting so much to this fundamentalist Christian background and elements that are all around you. It isn't like that. For instance, in Japan or Hong Kong, if you're wearing a pentagram or an inverted cross, the average person, since most people aren't Christian, they're not going to see it as, oh, this is blasphemous and that person's (laughs) going to hell. They just see it as some alternative styling. It's kind of an edgy symbol or fashion statement. And symbols also mean different things in different places. Like in Mm. Japan and other places around the world, Greece, there's the pentagram. It doesn't mean the same thing as it does to people who associate it with Satanism. It's a symbol of well-being and harmony. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about Baphomet as kind of a figure of um, bringing together, um, you know, things that we think of as a binary, that symbol kind of goes along with that. Yeah, absolutely. The union of opposites. And that's what I tried to convey as well. I think people sometimes have a knee-jerk reaction and they think, oh, Baphomet is this scary, goat-headed horror movie figure. And it's like, no, even in the book cover, I wanted to convey it's a gentle, compassionate figure. And inside, I really go through step-by-step, like these are the symbols. Here's where Baphomet came from. Here's the origins of the pentagram and whatnot. So it's really for a general audience and not necessarily someone who's a Satanist or really involved in it, but someone who might be curious, what do these symbols mean? Where does Satanism come from? And I do hope the book helps to shine a light on that. Yeah, it's a very friendly book. Very. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I sat down preparing, like we, we do a lot of research uh, all together. And we, well, we some of us do. <laughs> they, they do a lot of research. I own a green crayon. <laughs> I set everything up. Um, like I, I greatly, I was surprised at how quickly I went through this book, how it flowed together. And I was just like, I, I enjoyed the, the experience of reading this. And I only have one friend, but I, I literally, I called her up and I was like, Hey, look, you know, put this book on your shopping list. <laughs> so no, yeah, thank you. This was, this was good. Back to your, you used the phrase knee jerk. I now feel like I, I understand your motivation a little bit more in your presentation because in regards to symbolism, I've taken friends to Buddhist temples and, you know, you turn around the corner and all of a sudden there's swastikas everywhere. And they're just like, ah, I'm like, no, 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 guys, calm down. It's the other, right? You know, the perception of symbols and the knee jerk reaction to the symbols that we're not familiar with. So no, that's, I, I actually learned a lot about Baphomet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's, I think, a needed it's needed something accessible and mm. enjoyable to read because when I was doing my research, there are so many fantastic academic sources, books that cost $250 and are huge and thick and mm-hmm. dense. Yes. And yes, we provide all this incredible information that I recommend people dive into, but the average person isn't going to access these sources and go through them. So hopefully I was able to kind of distill mm. the, the key information in a way that is easy to read and gets the information across and makes people curious for more. I have to say it does have a very journalistic feel to it in that way, you know, and I'm curious if you, are there particular influences on you in your writing too? 
Hmm, that's a good question. I think because my background, I started as a blogger. I was one of the original bloggers starting in 2007, and all my work kind of flowed from there. So there was always this firsthand kind of casual、um, reporting style that I guess is a little bit influenced by、uh, Hunter S. Thompson and、yeah. kind of the 60s. You know, cool. Yeah, just kind of <laughs> investigating subcultures, being part of it, and writing in a way that's Fun, but it's, it's still journalism. It's still research. It's still factual, but you can have fun with it. Yeah, I loved reading those authors growing up, especially as a teen. I always was drawn to subcultures. I always said, you know, if it were the '60s, I'd probably be hanging out at Woodstock or traveling around India in a van. And because it's today, so I I would be checking out the satanic subculture that I feel is really vibrant, or the gothic scene, the fashion scene in Japan. Oh my、um, gosh, yes, probably something I was always drawn to. So I. Can you describe the satanic subculture that you've encountered there? Are are there aspects of it that are common? Or yeah, absolutely. And so I always kind of identified as a goth, and I loved going to the parties and concerts starting from my teenage years. Yeah. And when I started spending more time in Japan. Of course, I was going to hang out with the Japanese goths, and through that, I met a lot of satanists in Japan. That they're quite different from the satanists I met growing up in the West.、Uh, they're As I mentioned before, kind of more free flowing in the way that they adopt the symbols, and they don't necessarily just identify as Satanists, but they're very、uh, earnest and genuine elements in terms of in Japan rebelling against the conformist society, especially and standing up for yourself and questioning all these norms that are imposed upon you. They're just so fashionable, and they love to play with the visuals and symbolism. Whether it's 666 yen cocktails or these parties that have <laughs> tremendous imagery,、um, combining the Japanese folklore devils with satanic influences and fashion, I just found it so vibrant and、uh, welcoming, and that was really my main introduction to Satanism. Have you been putting those photo shoots on your blog or your Twitter? Oh yeah, absolutely. And、Excellent. I feel my blog is a bit of a time capsule at this point, since I've been blogging since 2007. So you really get to see the earlier days of these parties with my bad point and shoot camera, and you get to see people's fashion evolve. And you just don't know it at the time what you're capturing because some of these fashion trends that I talked about back then they're now gone, and certain clubs、mm. are gone, and people have moved on. But it's fun to be able to look back and see what was and what remains. Cool, yeah. So another question about the book:、uh, looking at some of the things you've said about it, addressing misconceptions, and kind of helping people understand. What Satanism is, and an absolute value into you as well is important. What are some of the bigger misconceptions people come to the table with? Well, going back to that negative knee-jerk reaction, I think a lot of it comes from popular culture, horror movies, or just the sense that oh, Satanists are bad people. They're maybe criminals or involved in evil deeds, or they're just devil worshippers believing in an actual devil, and that is completely not the case at all. And hopefully the book it goes through the history of the devil from his genesis in the Bible and、hmm. all these historic events from witch trials to、uh, the court of Louis XIV and all that up to the founding of modern satanic religions like the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. And hopefully going through all that kind of shows that it isn't at all. Most Satanists are non-theistic; they don't believe in an actual devil, but it's a metaphor for all these positive、hmm. values. Of self-expression and individuality, and、um, thinking for oneself. So,、uh, hopefully, people come to the book with an open mind and 
are able to take away a more accurate and more nuanced perspective mm -hmm. of what it means to be a Satanist. In terms of misconception, I, I feel like a lot of these misconceptions are of the West, right? So what misconceptions would you, would you find in the East? Hmm. Like how different would that be? Or, or I mean, you, you said it, we didn't have the, the background, so it's, you're coming across it fresh, but are there Eastern misconceptions? I would say possibly, yeah. I guess people aren't as familiar with the Christian imagery or stories hmm. in places like Japan or in Hong Kong. And so people may not necessarily know why Satanists might have a, you know, like why the inverted cross or why are what's the story of Lucifer? And these things are not necessarily common knowledge, if, if that makes sense. And so people may not get Satanism exactly, just as if uh, the average person in the West may not immediately get what it means to be a Taoist or mm -hmm. a person who is in an yep. Indian religion like Jainism. It, it's not an automatic understanding. It's something that I think they kind of have to research for themselves or talk to people in order to get it. It's not automatic. Okay. See, it seems like the activist sort of Satanism that the the Temple of Satan has um, kind of aimed at. Oh, I'm doing it again, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that go really well with like the a Buddhist faith because they're almost non-denominational as a group and have a sort of many paths to one goal sort of approach. Yeah, I see a lot of uh, overlap between or potential overlap between Buddhism and Satanism. And I do know people that identify with both since Buddhism arguably is also non-theistic. You can approach it from yeah. a way that has nothing to do with believing in some other, some supernatural or deities or whatnot. It's very much a rational philosophy at the core. And you see a lot of similarities between that and say the satanic temples, seven tenets in the pursuit of knowledge, of science, of compassion and empathy. So yeah, they very much go together, I feel. Yeah, I think the Unitarian Universalists kind of follow that similar path of many, many paths, one understanding, emphasizing humanist values over kind of rote spirituality sort of thing. If someone says something like Satanism isn't a real religion, or it's just activism dressed up like a church, uh, what would you say to someone like that? I would say, rather than fight that opinion, I would say, look at the facts of how Satanism developed over the centuries. And hopefully, that's something my book can help to clarify, that there's uh, these values don't come out of nowhere. The people aren't identifying as Satanists just because it's a troll religion or something like that because they're trying to cause a stir. But in fact, if you look through these centuries of anti-Satanism, of people being accused of being the devil's bedfellows just because they were misfits, they were women healers, or they just didn't fit in for some reason, you can see that there's this long history of persecution, of marginalization, and Satanists today, many of them are taking back that label in order to exactly do that, to fight for the rights of those that are the most marginalized for rights that are being rolled back, for instance, abortion rights, reproductive mm -hmm. access is something that the Satanic Temple is fighting for under the banner of Satanic representation. And you see that throughout history, you see the during the affair of the poisons in Paris, these women that were helping other women get abortions and help them to escape from bad situations were persecuted and killed because of that. So often history repeats itself. The Satanic panic is ongoing. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed your um, description of kind of the 
misogyny <laughs> involved with so much kind of anti-alternative uh, religion. And I found it really fascinating that, yes, modern-day modern Satanists are embracing this a historic event that I had no idea about. I'm going to have to do more research into that, the affair of the poisons. I mean, that that is fascinating. And so I definitely want to know more. And was that, is that something that's a, a large, was that something that you came to this uh, project with this understanding? Or was that something that you're like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. I need to really bring this out. Well, I think the more that you research, the more these themes emerge. And I do hope people do pick up on these themes. Another one is the taxo or textile host in France where people don't realize, okay, so nowadays people think Satanists are associated with Freemasons for some reason, and Mm -hmm. maybe they're involved in a shady political intrigue, but where does that actually come from? And then if you look at the history, you see, oh, it traces back to this hoax that associated the Freemasons with Satanists. And these threads are ongoing. Rather than being harmless, they trickle down and they're still spread today now by QAnon. Mm-hmm. And that that was something that, we, we, again, I was really fascinated by because, you know, we've only kind of talked about that anecdotally, but you draw a direct line to from uh, these satanic panics to QAnon. And I think that's really valuable. And, yeah. fri- and frightening. And frightening, yes, valuable and frightening, just like most things that that we talk about. Yeah, I think the threads are there, and I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything or even say that Satanism is the way to go. I'm just saying this is the history, and people can come to their own conclusions and find threads that are familiar. And hopefully that does answer your question of how uh, if people say, oh, this isn't the real religion to be taken seriously. Well, if you just go through the facts and the history and all these rich records that come together, mythology, um, historical events, then I think the conclusion is otherwise. This may be a joint Victoria, uh, Carmina question, but is there a connection between the Hellfire Clubs and the Masons? Oh, that is a good question. <clears throat> yeah. Hellfire Clubs. I mean, I think, uh, well, the Freemasons exist, like they predate the hellfire clubs so there may be some um the hellfire clubs might have picked up some ideas but I, i'd like to know more about that yeah Do you know? i would agree with you and the book has a chapter on the hellfire clubs and in the 1700s in the uk especially how they came about but again a lot of myths and stories are surrounding a lot of these events and when you actually look at the facts and look at what scholars have written, it's not as if black masses were being conducted there or all these legends of the devil appearing. No, these are conflagrations of what actually happened. It seems like these were just gentlemen clubs, again, trying to rebel against the morals of society and trying to have a little fun and poke a, a bit of ridicule at the Christian church that they found outdated and uh, archaic and you know useless really at that time in society. So I think a lot of the elements that were happening in throughout the centuries, the Renaissance, the Age of Enlightenment, you see that influence the way Satan is perceived, like with the Romantics and seeing Satan no longer as this real figure to be feared, but this metaphor of Lucifer the Lightbringer, who's a rebel and an antihero, and even this classical muscled hero that they now depict in art. Mm-hmm. He did really get a facelift around about 1700. Yep. <laughs> what, what's your favorite Satan? Oh, yes. Important question. 
Okay, so yeah, uh, just to clarify, we're talking about how Satan has been depicted differently in art throughout the ages. And really, it's so interesting how it's linked to the motivations and people's understanding at the time, like in the Middle Ages, a lot of people were illiterate. So to illustrate the idea yeah, of Satan graphic and obvious. Yeah, so you have these uh, triptychs of Satan devouring people with dark black or red face, uh, scary with horns. Yeah. And then in the Enlightenment, you have, because the idea of Satan changes into, oh, maybe he's actually this rebellious, brave antihero. So he becomes <laughs> this classical, muscled, beautiful figure. But I have to say, I think my favorite Satan is the cute, kawaii <laughs> Japanese version. because I love how Japanese mascots and cute culture, I love how they depict anything at all to make it cute. And that includes Baphomet and Satan. <laughs> Does he still have pitchforks and horns, like classic advertising Satan from the, from the 1920s? Yeah, but it's so amazing how Japanese uh, design goes. I was just looking around at the stores to see how people are interpreting satanic aesthetics. And you see little teddy bears with little horns and a devil tail holding a pitchfork. But it's so cute. I, I now want a chibi Satan on my desk. <laughs> Surprised we don't have one. Well, yeah. you can get those big, squishy uh, Baphomet plushies that are adorable oh the the like huge round ones uh -huh. yep the, mm -hmm. the footstool bahamut mm -hmm. <laughs> can you get a, a boar that's jacob's favorite little demon dude oh I, I i think you can get pretty much anything <laughs> <laughs> in japan how have like the western european demons made this migration into japan i see them in the video games and uh, anime derived from those games a lot uh, to the point where they interfere with my search for beer on uh, Google. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, Pokemon is based on folk demons and all that too. <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had no idea. Tell mm -hmm. me more. Yeah. I, I, I'm not an expert in this, to be honest, but it's just interesting, as, as you mentioned, how these legends that are centuries old, like if we just even look at how the devil changed, the story of the devil changed over time. You draw upon Pan, the Greek god, you draw upon the Egyptian gods like Anubis, the god that lorded over the underworld and whatnot. And these all come together to form new deities or new ideas. And we still see that today, I think, as you mentioned, with these gods being incorporated into Japanese anime into new legends and narratives and designs, including cute ones. Have they just sort of flowed naturally into the, the yokai world, which is sort of mysterious and numinous already? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just really interesting how cultures all around the world independently came up with ideas of evil spirits or deities with horns. And you see a lot of similarities in how people explain the world around them that they didn't understand, I think, including conceptions of hell. You see ideas of underworlds in Greek mythology and Buddhist hell. You see it with, uh, I think, the you know, in some of the Mexican mythology. Jamin, did you you had brought up the uh, the a question about kind of the connection between video games and did you have anything else you wanted to ask about that? Yes, allow <laughs> me this seven hour discourse. <laughs> No, I, as he said, every time we do research on a specific demon or entity or um, just name, like you just type it in 
in and you always get a cute anime girl who is that character. You've got Baphomet, all these video games. I, of course, I'm coming to blank. Um, Paimon. Mm-hmm. I think Paimon's in three different franchises, right? Some, sometimes he's a girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, my personal query is, like, how did this come across? Was it the original, like, the Dutch Catholicism, like, through the original ports, like, Nagasaki, and it's not, it's not Mori, it's the other one, but, like, did this start, or is this a recent thing where now we have a much smaller internet-filled world in which it's easy to just find Western mythology, find Western things? Like, is this an old concept of bringing these, these names in, or is it new? And that's, that's my personal question. Yeah, sure. I would say it's relatively new because during the age of Nagasaki and all that, Japan was very much closed off and very much pushing away any of this Christian influence. So I don't think it would have been very widespread at all, just because it was so suppressed and Japan remained isolated Mm. for so long. But I think especially, for instance, we see how Japan adopts 1950s culture. You have the dancing Elvises in the park. You have people adopting the 50s rocker fashion with giant uh, hairstyles. And they, uh, they also adopt biker fashion. I think the Japanese have a knack for latching onto some Americana or something from the West and giving it their own flamboyant twist that's quintessentially Japanese. And perhaps that's the case as well with these characters. So I have a quick question where maybe it's not a quick question, but in your research, what was the most surprising thing you found? Hmm. I would say it's the way that people who were deemed Satanists over the years have been so poorly treated and even executed, sent to jail, and how this is not a thing of the past. I mean, people think, oh, "Oh, Salem witch trials, oh, that happened in 1692. But if you even look at what happened in the 80s and 90s with the Satanic Panic, People, they spent years in jails over false claims of committing satanic ritual abuse and yeah. engaging in satanic rituals with children in preschools. Uh, people who, you know, there's just this hysteria over Satanism that has been longstanding. It's been around since the Middle Ages when the Knights Templar were all killed because they were deemed Satan's bedfellows. And you still see that today, even with something like Pizzagate that was 2016. Nobody died, but a man shot a gun inside that pizza parlor. People could have gone injured. It's still up so much. Oh, and the Satanic Temple's headquarters was set on fire. Just um, early yeah, that was, that was bad. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that was something that I knew about, but I didn't know the extent just of how so many people who are deemed uh, not immoral or not, uh, they're sinners in some way, or they're just people that wanted to be suppressed because the people in power decided they were bad or they were uh, in their way that were deemed Satanists and treated so poorly. I found it interesting. I don't know a whole lot about Lucian Greaves and uh, the kind of backstory for the founding of uh, the Satanic Temple too. Are you, um, are you, are you part of that? Like, are you a member community? You know, he wrote the foreword so clearly you're in communication. I'm just curious. <laughs> You know, are y'all buddies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I remember first I was involved in the Japanese satanic scene before the founding of the Satanic Temple. That was in 2013 when they were mm-hmm. founded. Mm. And so I've been following their activism over the years. My friends and I would exchange articles saying, hey, check out what they're doing with the Baphomet statue and these 
really cool campaigns that are challenging the separation of church and state and really uh, poking holes and showing the fundamentalist theocratic encroachments in public spaces, and especially in America. I so love yeah, the, I'm really- I love the trickster angle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very Satan, right? It's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and these days, I host a web show on the Satanic Temple TV. So mm-hmm. absolutely, I, I'm, in, I'm part of it. I really like what they do. So what I'm is glad- your show? Ah, it's called Satanic Show and Tell. And people can watch it at tsttv.com. And my co-host, Dr. John Scotland and I, we ask people to show their morbid possessions, anything to do with Satanism, whether it's human oh, skulls, it doesn't have to be completely related, but they might be Satan puppets, they might be uh, fashion designs with pentagrams on them. So it's a bit of a show and tell. Wow, we're going to have to uh, have another episode about that. <laughs> we're going to have to up our game generally. Do you ever yeah. go to the Do you ever go to the TST three thousand movie nights? Yes, I was actually just at it. And what? I took a break to do this podcast. And I'll go back. It's, I was really happy to find that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TST three K. Uh, every week, Lucian Greaves streams these terrible movies along with pre-show and an intermission that he edits himself. And it's really fun because people can watch these bad movies together and chat in the sidebar, make fun of the movies. It's a really fun way to kind of socialize with a lot of people in the satanic community. We don't believe in hell, but we have Ed Wood together. (laughs) (laughs) We love bad movies around here. Well, Jamin doesn't, but. It's true. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up the the TST TV thing because I was looking at This is brand new. Like you just started in August. You're. Do you have a do you have a game plan? Are you going to do a season of twelve? Is this going to be ongoing forever? Like <laughs> forever and ever, forever. <laughs> yeah. We actually have a bunch of episodes that we shot that haven't been released yet. Oh, so yay. they're going to be rolled out slowly. And because of the format of the show, it, it can go on for a really long time. We've had some really good guests on, including Evan Michelson and Ryan Matikon from Oddities, the TV show that mm-hmm. I also did an appearance on. We really invite notable guests. There's a jewelry designer, Alex Streeter, known for his angel heart pentagram rings. Yeah, had a lot of interesting guests, people into body modifications, filmmakers, and whatnot. Um, So, yeah, the show is ongoing, and we have new episodes coming out soon. If people want to search for Satanic Show and Tell, they'll be able to find them. That's awesome. I'm super excited about this. I want to derail from fun stuff for a bit because there was a factoid in the book that I was really curious about. I had never heard of the process church before. Oh, and this feels like a shortcoming on my part. Who are they? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Nicola. It seems like they're the missing link between this and that somehow. Yes. And there's so much misunderstanding about them as well, because they were uh, so in the 1960s, this couple, they founded the process Church of the Final Judgment, and there's a short chapter about this religion in the book, but they're not Satanists, but there are many elements there that kind of make them precursors to the modern Satanism, as it was founded in 1966 by Anton LaVey with the Church of Satan. But you see also that they uh, uh, had elements, they had these four types of archetypes that's it there's uh jehovah there's satan there's lucifer and so you have these satanic elements in there without it being necessarily a satanist religion um but Hmm. they were deemed 
Satanist by the general public because they wore these scary looking black capes and Baphomet medallions. Oh, well, so there's intentionality there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they were uh, falsely accused of cavorting with Charles Manson or and other serial killers. So a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of mystery is still surrounding them. They're, they're defunct now. Oh, yes. Yeah. But uh, what or about the Best Friends Society? I found that fascinating because it does seem that one of the themes through some of these organizations is this avoidance of cruelty to animals, which again, kind of connects to Buddhism. But mm-hmm. so yeah. but that organization is still operational. Yes, that's right. And doing quite well. So one of the founders of the process, Marianne McLean, she, after the process broke apart, she ended up founding the Best Friends Animal Society. It's an animal rescue and shelter organization that's still around today. It's just interesting that the roots came from the process. And I have to say, the first time I ever heard about it was when Lux Interior from the Cramps died. And that was the organization like one of the main organizations he supported. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. I didn't know Lex Interior was such an animal fan, but I wonder now, like, oh, was that a connection? You know? Mm-hmm. So sorry, just I had to bring in my cramps fandom there. <laughs> no, it's... Yeah, <laughs> please continue. <laughs> As Jacob said, in your in your timeline, in your, your you know, like doing your research and as you said, having done the research, it's very hard to do research and then you can, you convey that, but you filled in a lot of gaps, especially, you know, like early last century, like post post Crowley Satanism, where like I was reading through your book. I had the book on my tablet and wiki on my laptop. I'm just like going through and like writing notes to myself to look up. And it was, it was really fascinating that you filled this in. So thank you. Yeah, you've given us a lot of stuff. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's it's interesting to see, as you mentioned, what are the missing links? How did mm. Satanism evolve? Because it really started from people who weren't calling themselves Satanists at the beginning. There was this sense of anti-Satanism, which means that you call people that you believe are your enemies or following the wrong religion, you call them Satanists. And so a lot of Christians called the Jews and the pagans and the Muslims, oh, they're Satanists, right? Mm. Or they called each other Satanists because the Protestants and the Catholics and the Catholics, they all thought, oh, you're doing it wrong. You're a Satanist. Um, And it wasn't until later that you see people adopting it as a positive term to a greater or lesser degree. And so the book really goes through these very early Satanists, um, that a lot of people may not have heard of, like Ben Kadosh, just a one-person affair in Denmark. This guy, he's like, I'm a Luciferian. And he tried to, he even had a doctrine written out and he said that he was a Luciferian in the census, but seems like a one-person affair. So we can't really say that was the first satanic religion per se. But it's just interesting when people start adopting these ideas and taking back the name Satanist and finding meaning in it. A manifesto does not make a religion. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it. (laughs) <laughs> i was almost done with mine i know keep, keep going keep going give it ten thousand years <laughs> back to the process church where because it's been more than 30 seconds i've forgotten but their symbol was the the stacked um <laughs> the peas the peas yeah, yeah i've actually the forgotten the, the alphabet um and people objected to this so much and i was looking i was like that's, that's kind of a cool you know circle of peas like what's so bad about it well, you know, how many conversation, people saying, oh, that's a swastika, just because that's <sighs> what they come up with. And that's their only frame of reference. 
And yet again, no, the swastika has, I mean, as you know, with Indian culture and Asian culture, it's an association with Buddhism and Hinduism, and it's a harmonious symbol. And if people traveled more, or just did more research, they'd understand that there's other perspectives, there's other points of view. I was in India a few years ago, and you see people with not the Nazi swastika, but the backward one, they have yeah. it on their homes, they have it in, in temples, it's a symbol that's very meaningful and positive for people in India. So it's really quite horrible to discount all these people and say they're wrong and your symbol is a bad one because it means something else. It was appropriated in a different way by Nazi Germany. Um, and so that's, again, another knee-jerk reaction, right? If you don't like someone, you think they're weird or satanic, then you say, oh, this pea cross that has nothing to do with the swastika. It's four interlocking peas. That's a swastika. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reductionist. Mm-hmm. What is your next book going to be about? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's a hard one because I've written four books and the mm-hmm. past books were like diverse. Ago, just because the because I publish with major publishers and I have a literary agent. So it's not as if I can just think of a book and put it out right. there. It takes a long time <laughs> to really have a book come to fruition. You have to write a proposal, put it out there, figure out the book deal. And it's not something that can be forced. It's interesting that the books before they came because of certain trends and things I was working with in Japan. They were about Japanese pop culture, about the theme restaurants and cute food trends that were happening at the time. So very much a product of the time and place. And right now with Satanism being in the news all the time, with uh, the activism, with people becoming really interested, that's naturally came about and with my involvement more and more in the community. So who is to say what's next? But I'm certainly with people love to writing books and they will always have something to do with the subculture worlds that fascinate me. Fantastic. Yeah. I can't wait. Let's let's bring you the person back into this. Things I want to reference about you is there's a, a great picture of you standing on a pentacle carpet. And the caption is like, this is not the first pentacle carpet I've stood upon. <laughs> And then you describe your personal style as, and I, I love this, it's Hello Kitty meets Morticia Adams. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> which, I, and which is why I wore my favorite shirt for you specifically. Nice. Aww. Love it. So, um, is there anything about yourself you'd like to talk about? Your, your style, your, your personality, the way you approach subcultures, the way you interact with subcultures, your relationship with purple? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, I love fashion and styling. It's something I always enjoy doing naturally. I feel like people naturally gravitate towards certain things and Mm. for whatever reason it is. And I always loved alternative and Gothic styling, especially having spent time in Hong Kong and Japan in my teen years. It's so different to see Harajuku style and how people coordinate their outfits there. Uh, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, so a very different world. And What, What was that word? Harajuka? Harajuku. Harajuku. It's the youth district of Tokyo, known oh, okay. for all these fascinating style tribes. You see girls in pastel dolly dresses and all sorts of barrettes in their hair or crazy gothic fashion. You see the most interesting street style in the Harajuku mm. district of okay. Tokyo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's something I love and I love to play with. I think and that's why my style doesn't fit in one box. And I think people can see that. They can see my outfits on La Carmina social media or my site, lacarmina.com. I've been posting since 2007, so they can see I love to play with different styles. I love cute kawaii elements, but I also love gothic, uh, more edgy, darker styling. 
And it's fun to not just fit in a box and wear, say, straight on traditional goth wear. You mm. can mix it up and you can be a chameleon. Is there a space in publishing for a satanic cookbook or has that already been done? There is a satanic cookbook out there. It's called Devil's Food and it's by the satanic chef, Adam Ostrowski. Yeah, it's fantastic. He works with the satanic temple on devil's dinners as well. And he has a cooking show on the satanic temple TV, but it's an amazing book. It has all sorts of photos and stories in addition to recipes that have satanic themes whether it's blood red hummus, beet hummus, or uh, something inspired by what Anton LaVey would eat. So really fantastic cookbook. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, in this conversation, La Carmina. And once again, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. People can Google La Carmina. They can find me on all social media at La Carmina. And my site is lacarmina.com. I'm always posting updates about my adventures around the world. I've been to 70 countries. I'm always investigating Gothic and Satanic and alternative subcultures while wearing fabulous outfits. So please <laughs> check out. They are fabulous. <laughs> and your book is available for rush delivery on Halloween. Um, just catch it at Amazon Books, Barnes & Noble, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, The Little Book of Satanism comes out October 25th. And again, people can Google it, The Little Book of Satanism, and find it worldwide. And the only purple book on Satan you'll be able to find anywhere. Right. And we're going to have to, we're definitely going to have to talk to you again about Satanic Show and Tell. That is very exciting. Mm -hmm. When does your show play on the Satanic TV network? Yeah. So if people look up the Satanic Temple TV, there are a number of different shows, including the cooking show from the Satanic Chef and my show, Satanic Show and Tell. And the episodes are just released ongoing. Um, there's no particular release schedule, but we have about four out so far, and there's many to come. Yay! TST Yay! streaming. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again, and we look forward to seeing the book in our hands and um, your next project. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. It was such a wonderful talk, and um, yeah, we're just so yeah, glad thanks that a lot. you it was, willing it was a blast. that you, you wanted to hang out with us. Yeah, love it. Thank you so much. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.